Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 252. This episode is with first team sports scientist at Shrewsbury Town and national fitness coach at FA Wales, Ben Sutcliffe. Ben came on and we talked about some of the impact of manager changes on his approach, playing different playing styles and how that impacts what he actually does with the players. We also spoke about reporting to key stakeholders, what his experience of that has been as well. And then a big part of the podcast went into a really current challenge being faced by a lot of practitioners this season in particular in the added time that is going on in games. So Ben breaks down the first two or three games of the season that they face so far, all the added minutes that have accumulated over that time, and some of his thought processes on how it's going to impact players across the full season. And I really appreciate Ben going into this because obviously it's something that is very current. We also said it'd be great to do a podcast later on in the season, post-Christmas, to discuss some of the things that they put in place or maybe some of the challenges that they face across the season because we are very early into this challenge with literally a couple of games into the season. So I'm sure you're going to take plenty away if that is something that you are currently facing as a challenge at the moment in your role. Just before we get into the episode, just want to give a heads up on a few dates coming up for some of our networking events. We've already released tickets for our event on the 20th of September at Doncaster Rovers. We've got Harry Hurst and Sam Bowering presenting at that event. Early bird tickets are available, so you can go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab and then networking events, you'll be able to get your tickets there. We've also got announcements coming very soon for a Northwest event on the 12th of September, and I'll be releasing details of that speakers and location very soon. And also on the 27th of September, we're going to be in West Midlands as well. So just keep an eye out on socials. I'll also announce it on the podcast when we've got all the details, speakers, locations, times and everything. Just keep an eye out for those, but mark them in the diary. Northwest event, 12th of September. West Midlands, 27th of September. And if anyone is out there listening, thinking, oh, it'd be great to host an event, to um, have people into my club, my facility, then please reach out. You can drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com and we're looking to book more and more events for the rest of the year. So please reach out and hopefully we can make something happen. Just finally, before we get into the episode, big thank you to our sponsors, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also a big thank you to Hytro. 
Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sport teams and athletes, Hydro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery, maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hydro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. Also, a huge thank you to Rezzle. Make sure you check them out at Rezzle over on social media. And let's get into episode 252 with the first team sports scientist at Shrewsbury Town and national fitness coach at FA Wales, Ben Sutcliffe. Rezzo is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzo, Rezzo. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzo Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzo, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 252 and I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, first team sports scientist at Shrewsbury Town, Ben Sutcliffe. Ben, how are we? All good, mate. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. I've said this quite a lot of times on the podcast. We've had a conversation there for the last sort of 10, 15 minutes, which we should definitely have recorded. Um, But I'm sure we'll cover some of that in a second because it is very, very relevant at the moment. Um, Ben, kick us off, mate. I've mentioned first team sports scientists at Shrewsbury. I know you've also got a role with the Welsh FA as well. But can you just take us back, take us on a bit of a journey of your career so far? Yeah, sure. So... I guess growing up as a kid, always involved in football. Um, I was actually an athlete at the same time, so my actual event was sprint hurdles. Um, so I come from sort of athletics background as well as football. Um, but I guess my path to what's led me here has sort of started when I was 14, looking for a bit of extra pocket money. Um, I thought, hey, why not be a ref for my sins? Um, and yeah, sort of carried that on. So through the athletics and refing, moved down to Swansea, um, did three years at Swansea, um, doing my bachelor's. Uh, mainly for the athletics side, ended up dropping it um, and found other things to do, as you do at uni. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so in my final year this then, I was looking at, listen, I'm going to be doing this for six months. What can I do that's going to keep me interested and I'm going to engage with and want to do in my spare time? Um, so sort of went down the refereeing route, got in touch with the FAW, um, so the Welsh Football Association, and said, listen, I'm looking at doing this study. What what level referees can I get? I'm looking at just doing um, sort of an account of what does match demands for Welsh refereeing look like. Um, so that was just sort of looking at GPS metrics. And fortunately enough, the, the head of refereeing came back and said, listen, I'm more than happy for, to give you elite referee data. So sort of for that six-month period, um, I had access to all their data on the caveat that I just did a bit of work with them, training, monitoring, and they use Polar. 
Um, so it's all uh, remote. I could just do it from home, log on a laptop and just see what, what their training data looked like. Um, and then through that in the summer, um, fortunately enough, the old fitness coach there was just an ex-referee. So sort of fell into the role and UEFA and FIFA were looking at more of a, listen, they need to have sports science background or sports science qualifications um, and sort of stepped my way into that role. So that's, I've carried that on now. That was 2019. Um, again, it's still remote. We have a lot more contact and hopefully a lot better training programs that get sent out now. Um, but yeah, carried that on. Then from there, finished that, moved back home, um, did my MSc at John Moore's. Uh, so Liverpool John Moore's, great cohort. I think you just had Jacob on a few episodes ago. Um, he was in the same year as me. Um, and yeah, Carried that through. Got involved then with Liverpool Women. Um, and this is probably sort of where my numbers, geeky, maths background comes from. Um, and did my study into looking at individualisation of speed thresholds in women's football. Um, so I know like people like Dawn Scott and, and people like that had touched on it in the past. Um, but I looked at using mass and anaerobic speed reserve as sort of setting them thresholds as to does the absolute values um, account for or does it over account or under account for what they actually do in the game um, so from that became sort of a GPS nerd and an Excel spreadsheet one of them um, and then as I was finishing that COVID hit um, so I ended up doing a four hour physiology exam in my bedroom which was not not the most fun thing I've ever done um, but yeah so everything stopped and and that gave me sort of the the good thing of what everyone was doing at the time of Zoom training sessions um, and really having to prescribe things that we can do at home um, and sort of got me to appreciate what we can do when we don't have any kit. Like you've got the basic kit, referees don't even have dumbbells in their house. Like we're having to do body weight stuff. What can we do? Um, and trying to make the most of that. And then through that, got in touch with Tony Strudwick at the FAW and said, listen, I'm trying to get some more hands-on stuff now. COVID's um, sort of back in the COVID. Have you got anything to go in? Unfortunately enough, well, unfortunately for me at the time, he said, if you'd asked me a week ago before the camp, I could have got you in with the seniors. <laughs> um, so like, but it is what it is. And uh, luckily, people had moved up and there's a spot of the under-17s came available. So I was buzzing, like, obviously going away on international camps and as my first real sort of hands-on experience learned loads I'd say one of the, the biggest learning curves for me is I was left the gym of 16 year olds to go and get a speaker charger one minute later playing two touch screaming their heads off whilst there's a yoga session going on down the corridor and then add it in the airfall from the head coach because he's like what's going on they're out of control um, so I guess that's don't trust 15, 16-year-olds. <laughs> um, I'm sure there'll be quite a few players. people that relate to that, oh, definitely. Um, so, yeah, sort of learnt loads on that. You're, you're a one-man band from half seven in the morning to nine o'clock at night doing all sorts of uh, hydration testing, and especially when you're out in Portugal, like these kids don't understand that they have to take on a load more water or they have to drink a load more um, just to feel for performance. Um, and from that, uh, moved over to Blackburn Rovers, 
um, in an academy role to start with, so academy sports science intern. Again, great hands-on experience all the way from under nines all the way up to 23s um, in the building all the time, learning loads off great practitioners over there um, and loads from the head of sports science. Like We went on a, a camp away. They normally went up to Scotland, but unfortunately they couldn't do it, so they, they just did it at the training ground, but they're getting the, the kids in it. Uh, half six in the morning to do laps of the training ground, carrying like med balls and um, weighted bags, you know, just a, a mental toughness. And that I took loads from that in, in the sense of how to build a robust athlete. And that ultimately we've got this amount of demand for us. It's not always just physical, it's mental as well. Hmm. And sort of teaching them that this is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. The games are going to be the easiest thing you ever do. The training is going to be the bit in the middle, and that's where you improve. Yeah. Um, and then from there, sort of my CPD to the academy was building a, a GPS database for the academy. So at the moment, it was they just use catapult reports um, directly straight off the website. Um, so from that, I got in touch with the the first team, um, and. Liam Mason at the time and said, listen, can I sit down and say, this is what I'm I'm thinking of doing. Um, can we can we get something involved in, in the academy? Um, and he sat me down and said, these are our philosophies. And it was honestly a, a brilliant experience to, to hear that from the head of the first team when you're just looking after the under nines and twelves. Um, but then got in touch with, with Sam Holt, who was leading the GPS there. And we ended up brainstorming a load of things and ended up getting a, a decent pathway through the whole the whole club that looked, listen, this is what the first team report looks like and you're under 16 getting this report. Um, and it, it allowed for smooth transition again then of, of players as they go up. Listen, it's already in this database. I'll just copy and paste all their data when they, they transition between squads. Um, and then, as I, I'm sure we'll touch on, in a minute, a change of manager happens and a new director of performance comes in who wants it completely differently. So you're almost like, <laughs> we've spent three months doing all this work to have to scrap it and get it and start from the beginning. Um, but then again, like upskill on Power BI and, and stuff like that, you, you're learning loads off again, new people who want it doing differently. Um, so we sort of transition from a multi-mechanical model um, to volumes and intensities as a whole and really a big focus on intensity compared to games and metres per minute. Um, and then, yeah, so Sam moved on and I sort of just became the GPS guy of download you know, the first team. But again, it's exposure and, and it's sort of grasping any opportunity you can. Um, listen, that was a great opportunity to get up and I ended up doing loads for the first team and then having to do the under nines in the evening and it was a great experience to have that both hands on of right I can watch what other people do but also experiment with my own ideas of if you can't get a nine year old to listen to you like you're not going to get a, a first team player <laughs> um, and then sort of moved into the role I'm at Shrewsbury now um, so that's more gym based um, again just trying to do an overall view of myself of what was I weak at at the time so I was great at GPS but hadn't really had that gym exposure. Um, so I came in here, hopefully 
have improved it and, and developed my, my gym base side of it. But then also obviously the, the whole periodization and I guess that's where I thought to myself, I've worked in the academy now. It's given me some great tips on building robustness, but at the end of the day, I think my focus is always then going to be um, performance-based and trying to get that 1% out of players. What's the best way we can we can do that? So I hope I haven't waffled on for too long. About no, no, that's a really good breakdown, mate. Really good breakdown. Um, you mentioned a few things that we're going to get into. The periodization we'll, we'll cover in a second, but just to kick us off, the manager changes... Obviously, it's something that probably going into a club and a role, you get to know the way that coaches and managers will work. You maybe think you've got it nailed for a certain point and then things can change, can't they? Whether that's determined by results or well, whatever it is determined by. What's your approach? Because I know we, we spoke about this, but this is one of the things we spoke about before we started recording. There's been very different approaches that I know that you've worked with, none, none right over than others, I'm sure you'll say. But what's your approach as a practitioner and what maybe what information do you need to draw from the coach when that, that change happens? I think for us, it's just going back to Blackburn. That went from a English manager to a foreign manager. And that sort of brought in the change of, right, we're going to more of a European way of leading. So you've gone from a Sunday, Wednesday off into a four-day leading. And it's sort of, where do you get your load in? Can you have a heavy day in the gym? Can you go super heavy, have a heavy Tuesday, and then go again on the next day? Um, and sort of balancing that off between how how can we do that? Um, then here, again at, at Shrewsbury, you've gone from a well-established manager to sort of a new fresh project. Um, so a director of football has come in who's recruited a head coach. So it's almost like now, instead of answering to a manager, you're answering to two people where it's a head coach who's got his philosophies, or a director of football who's putting a structure in through the whole club um, and sort of how we how we balance that. So again, touching on this season, um, we've gone from a low block transition team into a super high press team, which is a crazy change for, for us in terms of loading, but that only happened a week before pre-season. So it's almost like you've got this all planned, you've done the planned your off-season, and all of a sudden someone just lobbed the grenade in and gone, here you go, completely different way we're going to be playing, they're going to need these demands. Um, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm not sure if we're prepped for that. Um, and then your whole pre-season discussion changes and, and you're trying to draw on how he plays. Again, we'll probably touch on it in periodization uh, later on, but you're breaking the game down into into its four moments. So so it's attacking, defending, and both transitions in them in them zones. Again, your transitions defensively probably haven't changed too much. Mm. But it's how the, the manager now wants to do that attacking side and the attacking transitions it's super different and is a low lot of different tolerance um it's a lot more mechanical load on the body with the xld cells and and how do we prep that not only on the pitch but what does what does our gym work marry up to that um can we afford to go super heavy or eccentric in the gym if we know that they're going to be doing this amount of high high intensity xld cells on the pitch 
and it's sort of marrying marrying the two up and ultimately football comes first. Yeah. Um ultimately he's he's the head coach for a reason. And it's his philosophies that are hopefully going to bring results. And it's just how can we match and marry the the sports science to that. Because if you put your solely a sports science head on with that challenge in front of you, you go, oh, we'll have this build-up period, we'll have a certain programme that's going to last for a certain amount of time, then players will be ready. But that just isn't real world, is it? So with with such a fast turnaround there, what advice would you give to someone in a similar situation in terms of we need to be ready in X amount of time and, and that's got to be the case? I think for for me, you can't be, ever be too comfortable in or rigid in what you're planning. It's got to be a, these are our philosophies as a sports science and medical department. But within that, can we change what we do? Um, so I guess we're, we were quite rigid in, right, we've got the, we had a super long break as well. So that was another factor that got thrown in. Um, the old manager didn't want us in before the 1st of July because for whatever reason, the, the player's mental. Um, he just had this thing that players would be mentally different if they came in before they think, oh, we're in super early. But ultimately, then when it changed over, it gave us one week less to adapt to that change. Mm. Um, now, hopefully, the way we planned the off-season was that the old manager used to do, I think, 9.5k high-intensity running in the first week of pre-season. So we're already super conscious that that's going to be a case from the old manager. Um, again, it's probably just that change of Axel Diesel that we didn't anticipate. Um, and it's just building that in slowly. So obviously the manager's going to have his principles. He's going to go in from day one. But we had a stage return anyway where, listen, the balls ain't out till day three, day four. So hopefully we could have changed the sort of things they did in them first two days. Obviously you don't want to ramp it up straight away. Um, but you're looking to change the bits that we had control of. Um, and okay, the manager will now want to do this. Do we then need to either push on more in certain areas or take off in certain areas um, in the conditioning that we do in the afternoons? Um, and again, in the gym, um, do we want a load of plyometric landings if their XLD cell is going through the roof? Mm. Again, it's just questions that you need to to be asking yourself just to, to tick over and say, overall, what is the player's load? And are they used to that? And what can they tolerate it? And, and hopefully not break down. Yeah, definitely. Another, I'll use your analogy of another grenade being thrown in, is the rule changes for this season, which everyone listening now is probably just thinking, yeah, how do we go about this? Because you've just been talking again before we started recording about the first couple of games. And I think we said, was it 16 minutes added on into the... In total, in the second game, was it? Is that right? Yeah, so first game we played 112, yeah. which I think was the, the second highest in the Football League. Uh, and then, yeah, last night we played 104, so well over what we were used to. Yeah, and I know Tony's put some great stuff out about the sort of differences and demands and stuff that's putting on the players. But with your change, you're, you're dealing with this change in terms of style of play, getting players ready for that. Well, then you're preparing players for that style of play in a longer game now as well. So what's now the the, the next approach that you need to take? Or is there any sort of differences that you um, need to change or adapt that programme to take that into account? Yeah, so I think for us, looking at last season, if we'd have had to do 
112 minutes last season, we had a squad of 15 first-team pros. Like, we really would have struggled. Luckily, this season, I think we're going to have a bigger squad. Um, but I think it's more about education now to the manager of, we're going to have to push our our demands in training up yeah, uh, and, and slowly overload that side of it. But it's going to take time. And whilst that adapting process takes its time, you might have to rotate players and we might have to make decisions in games that you don't want to. So last night we're, we're looking at, okay, we want to keep a strong team out, but at the same time we've got a duty of care to players who have to go Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Um, and obviously at the moment you're trying to look after the players as best you can, but at the same time push them on because we're still in that early part of the season. I know I spoke about um, our Christmas period. We've got four games in 10 days. If we're playing 110 minutes across all four of them, I'm telling you right now, we, we cannot allow the same 11 players to play in all four games. No. So again, it's it's just looking at that that loading and it's worst case scenario, isn't it? So was our worst case scenario ever 112 minutes before that first game of the season? Probably not. Mm. But now we're looking at this is where the numbers are. Our worst case scenario has changed. So we now have to try and match that in everything we do. So our numbers have to be at that level. Um, our robustness in the gym uh, has to be quality to ensure that players don't break down. Because um, again, yes, yeah, it's, it's loads of minutes. Like, And I think we're talking 20 minutes of extra time, but only six or seven more minutes ball in play time. Yeah. Um, so I think they were talking about potentially it having less of an impact later in the season. Um, but we also are seeing that it's only four minutes in the first half, but 11, 12 in the second half when players are tiring and whether it's a through fault of their own or that's just the way that footballers was in the past, but we never really noticed it. No. Um, but it is sort of like when they are most fatigued, that is when the most the, the added minutes are coming. So it's trying to balance, okay, we might have our peak five-minute demands, but now do we have to look at what are the peak demands in those last 20 minutes of the game? And can we match that at that, fat, at that fatigue and training so that we're ready for, for whatever may come? And again, I think... We're looking at it now. The bigger the bigger issue for us now is substitutes. Yeah. Because they're missing out even more now than they used to. And um, we're already playing catch up with them and whatever we do in a week, you're always trying to catch up a, a match. But now, especially if it's two game week, um, we can't afford for eighty percent of our training time, eighty uh, percent of our total distance to be in match and not training time. Mm. because then those players only have 20% time to try and make up two games that are both 110 minutes long. Like It's, again, just another challenge where we're looking at it as our duty of care to players now is we have to be at them levels so that they can tolerate that load. Um, and again, probably goes on to gym programming later on. Um, but last year we had our main issue was patella tendinopathy. And again, if that's going to be a case this year, is that going to onset earlier on? And what we're combating that now, 
because we're anticipating that could be a problem later in the season, especially given these more more minutes. Um, yeah, and, and again, it's it's ridiculous the amount of distance we're, we're covering purely based on just extra time on feet. It's almost as if you can't really compare to last season now. Yeah, it's a um, different different game, isn't it now? Oh, 100%. So we're putting last season behind us. As much as you can say, listen, if we take out this and uh, account for the extra 20 minutes, it would be this last season. It's almost just a fresh slate of this is going to be now our average. This is going to be what we need to expect. And can we match that in what in what we do in the week? Make sure to go and check out some of our latest uploads on our online community. We've uploaded two presentations, Bridging the Gap Between Academy and First Team by Jack Newbury, and also Velocity-Based Training, Practical Insights and Applications by Dr. Steve Thompson. We've also posted a preview of that on our YouTube YouTube page, so go to Football Fitness Federation on YouTube. And you can watch a short segment of Steve's presentation. It was a very popular presentation and really applicable for anyone working at any level with any sort of resources. So he did a great job of covering how VBT can be used by anyone working with any team. So go and check that out. Watch the preview. If you're interested in watching the whole presentation, you can get yourself a 30-day free trial by going to footballfitfed.com clicking the community tab, getting yourself signed up there. After your free trial, you become a full member of our online community and you get access to our members WhatsApp group, as well as some of the great content we've got coming over the next few weeks, including webinars and other presentations from other events as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Ben Sutcliffe. The other thing I was going to say, which kind of ties in with where you're talking about substitutes there, is in your mind now, where you've got that core squad, that first team squad, does it expand past that now where you're thinking maybe some 18s, 23s, they actually need to be more more ready than ever to come into that for that period where the squad's going to get stretched? 100%. So we've gone from playing Saturday, 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 90 minutes, generally the same 11 could play those games. To now, you're playing 112 minutes. Is is that now a three-day recovery period? Is it still a two-day? Do we still, can we still load heavy on Tuesday if they're still recovering from an, an additional load? And then again, yeah. Do we need more players to be brought up just for that chance of they need to be ready? Yeah. Um. So again, we've got on merit youth players playing in the Carabao Cup. But again, it's sort of our hands forced of the same players will not be able to tolerate 110 minutes Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday for a prolonged period of time. Um, and again, now that's the challenge for us as sports scientists um, to have them subs in a state where Worst case scenario, someone gets injured in the first minute, they can tolerate that entire game mm-hmm. without blowing up and without uh, an, an injury and not being able to play for the next two weeks after that. Mm. I mean, even if there's an injury 20 minutes into the game now, they're still going to get a 90-minute <laughs> game in the month, which is crazy. That's, yeah. Um, 
you touched on the gym side of things. So it'd be great to dive into that now. So with all that in mind, and also obviously we spoke a lot on the podcast before about microdosing, about where we're getting our strength working, our heavy days and all that sort of stuff. Do these changes, and just reverting back to the, the what you talked about in terms of style of play as well, how does that influence the programme that you're doing in the gym? I think, obviously, we've touched on the pitch side of it. Um, but in the gym now, it's it's probably even more important to microdose. Um, so this is sort of what we've looked at this season. I think last season we were great in terms of our lowers in power or main gym sessions. Our activation was sort of on the fly as as and when we see fit, so more a mobility rather than activation. So this season we've moved a lot more towards if this is the case and we're going to have to reduce volume of gym work, can we micro-dose into the morning sessions? Um, and it's sort of two birds with one stone. You micro-dose a good bit of strength, but you also get hopefully a bit of post-activation potentiation and they are able to perform better on the pitch. Um, so we've moved again towards, uh, it's a hot topic at the moment, but using isometric work in activation sessions. And again, it's coupling it with what's going to be happening on the grass. So if we're looking at a Tuesday and it's intensive, small-sided, super high press, loads of Axel D cells, we'll prep them with a, a program in the morning that supplements that, whether it be strength work, single leg work, load tolerance, all building towards can they withstand what is about to happen on the grass. And mm. also, we're microdosing strength and we're trying to get a bit of potentiation in there as well. Um, the issue then comes, obviously, when you have a two-game week because, for example, this week we had a Wednesday game. It kills your Tuesday because it's a minus one and then it also kills your Thursday because you're a plus one. So you've effectively gone from having two structured gym sessions to zero. Mm -hmm. So then it's a case of we need to get some sort of microdosing of strength. Where can we get it in? And then it turns into, right, activation is the easiest place to do that. Um, so Monday changes into a more, they're still on a plus two. So it's, again, still, you've still got the challenges of, they're still technically in a recovery phase. Um, but can we microdose in um, longer hold isometrics? Um, so a split squat, challenging single leg, Spanish squat or wall sit, um, variants like that, where they're still going to get a decent amount of muscular strength work and fatigue. But also we're looking again after those patellar tendon issues, um, trying to stay on top of tendinop tendinopathy, as well as a mobility circuit. And then using um, some more push isometrics involved in that as well um, to tolerate that. And then on a Tuesday or the minus one, then we're looking at sort of that priming phase and, and putting more of that power work or plyometric work into that um, activation session. So again, they've missed gym time and we've accounted for it in the, in the periodization model um, as a deload week or a lower week for the, for the gym. But also, we're still micro-dosing and giving them little doses in there that can still keep that gym work up, even though we're effectively having zero gym time this week. 
And again, just touching on the subs, it's tough because, again, we never know when they're going to be needed. So yeah. it'd be lovely to say, listen, you can still do your Tuesday gym, but do we take that chance? Can, or can we afford to take that chance? Because again, as you said, someone could go in the 20th minute, mm. they're still playing a full game because mm. of the way that the added time's working this year. Um, so it's just, again, different challenges, but facing those challenges head on and saying, listen, we still need to get work done. Can we do it in different areas? What's been feedback from the players, Ben, on this? So at the moment, with it being pre-season, it's been great. Like the players are taking to it. Last year, we, we did activation, but it wasn't structured. Um, a lot of the players saying, listen, it's either repetitive or we're in the gym all the time. We're in the gym more than we're on the grass. It's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to make sure that you get what you need so that you can last 112 minutes yeah. on a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. Um, we need you to be robust enough and not break down easily, reduce that injury risk so that you can play to your best ability across the whole season. Um, whether that changes later down the line when we're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday in the middle of winter, again, <laughs> it might have to be revisited then. But at the moment, it's been great buying. Um, players are taking to it brilliantly, to be fair. And is there anything, we didn't actually discuss this, so if you don't want to talk about this, don't worry. But in terms of the MDT, bringing your physios into the mix, is there anything that they're potentially flagging up? So when you're having discussions about these extra minutes and all how this is going to accumulate as well, because we're talking now, we're two games into the season, still really early. It's actually sunny outside, which is amazing. Um, but when you said, like, when we get to that Christmas period and beyond, is there anything that the physios are sort of talking about and highlighting from their perspective? I think at the moment it's just flagging the fact of the, the increased load. So we're prepping for two games of last season, albeit the average of our worst five games in terms of, I say, worst, most distance um, for the worst case scenario. But that's almost been blown out of the water by even our first two games this season. So it's like we've prepped. We've only prepped for so much. We're now almost prepping for the unknown. Yeah. And now we know the unknown. We just need to make sure that our load matches what we, um, what we're doing on the game. And again, just the main thing for us is keeping on top of things. So for us, tendinopathy, whether it be Achilles or um, patella. They're the two big issues for us of what could creep in from increased minutes. Mm. Purely just based on time on grass um, and sort of managing them now and tackling them now hopefully reduces issues that we see later on in the season. Again, I think they're in the unknown as well. Um, I can't speak for them, but I think looking at this, we're all a bit like 112 minutes in a game. like It's unheard of. Yeah. Um, so I guess we're just playing it by ear and creeping that load up to a point at which we can comfortably say, listen, players can do this much three times in the week. We're happy with where we are now. And again, then just having a sort of fluctuation of 
uh, normal week, a little overload and a little deload, depending on where that comes and just fluctuating that between. And then again, looking at that Christmas period, there may potentially, I think we've got three clear weeks before it. So in those three weeks, we might have to creep the load up even more just so that the players come. We deload the week before and say, listen, now you're ready. You're used to this load. Go four games in 10 days. Fingers crossed. We all come for it, okay? Yeah, definitely. In terms of buy-in, developing buy-in from key stakeholders, regardless of who that would be, does this actually make things a little bit easier from your perspective? Because it's just describing extra load on the players and then the, the need for this work even more, isn't it? I think so. But then at the same time, like we have a crisis meeting on Monday because they've never seen 112 minutes either. Yeah. And it's it's almost saying to them, you don't need to worry because we will prepare the players to do that. And hopefully, in pre- luckily, we're at pre-season. So we've overloaded them enough that we're at a comfortable level anyway. Yeah. It might be a little bit higher than we anticipated, but we're almost sitting them down and saying, it's okay. It There's no need to panic. Um, we'll get on top of it. Yeah, it's a shock to all of us. But obviously, we will program this in as it goes on. Um, and I think that that's pretty much the same on going back to pre-season, developing how the new manager and, and director of football want data reported. Um, again, it's very much a case of presenting what we have and having discussions. Um, I think it's turned out all right and in a sense of it's relatively similar and, and they're okay with how we presented things last season. Um, but then again, sort of developing a, a rigid testing structure. Um, last season, I think when, when new players came in, it was sort of, we need to get them up and at it straight away. Whereas this season we've sort of said, we still need that time to profile them um, test them in all everything we test them in and say this is the type of player they are this is what they still need to improve on so that we can individualise it for them rather than just saying well he's come in he's a week behind we need to get after him yeah and then it's also that under, making them understand that the players have already had a week and you're bringing this new player in and you want him to go straight away at what is an overload on even last week. Yeah. And sitting them down and saying, we know where we want you to be, but it's going to take time. Mm. Give us that time. Um, and luckily, or unluckily, we got enough games in, in that small pre-season four-week window we had um, to be able to get everyone up and, and give them that 90 minutes exposure that we sort of needed to tick off to say, that's where they are. They've had a 90 minutes. They're good to go for the start of the start of the season. Yeah. This is going to be a learning as you go, isn't it? Like it'll yeah. be amazing to have the conversations throughout the season. I think it's really important as well for to get people's different perspectives. Because I mean the time's going to be different game to game. Um, yeah, there's just so many challenges, isn't there? It just makes it such a individual season in that sense, doesn't it? And it's also like so if we look back to pre-season, refs are just doing two forty-fives. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's we're we're looking at preseason going, we're in an okay place because compared to last season, we're fine. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, first game of the season comes, 112 minutes, and you're like, 
I've never seen numbers like it. And all of a sudden, that's that. I think that's where the panic stations come from, and that's where the relationships with those key stakeholders, whether it be players as well, do you think? Under twelve minutes, I can't go again in four days. Mm. Um, and it's just sitting them down and saying, "Listen, we've prepared you for this," and having that that good relationship um, with whoever you're talking to, and just saying, "We've got it under control. Don't need to worry." It's just another one of them things that you can't foresee happening. Yeah, but hopefully we'll have it all sorted in by now or in in a few weeks' time. That individualization as well is important, isn't it? Because across a squad, like everyone knows of players that are just physical freaks. They could probably play 120 minutes every single week and have no issues and do that for a whole season. Whereas there's others that are going to really struggle, isn't there? So that really comes into it as well, doesn't it? Especially in a season like this. And and it's again, it probably touches on um, the manager change as well. So we had players last season who you could pretty much guarantee we're going to get 90 minutes every game. Yeah. And then now the new manager comes in and some of them might drop out. And it's hard for us. It's it's never a nice thing to tell a player, this is your profession, but you can't do your profession mm-hmm. because you're not getting selected for this game. And that's another one where buy-in is crucially important in how you can relate to players and, and get them to buy into what you're doing. Because the last thing certain players want is, I was playing 90 minutes every game last season, but now I'm not playing. And you want me to do 90% on a squat? Yeah, yeah I ain't doing that. Yeah. Um, and it's having that, we need you to be ready again for those super long games. You could come in, someone could get injured you and you could be in and we need you to be robust enough and ready enough to do that game and being able to individualize what certain players need again is crucially important in a sense of we need to look after them as best we can some players are going to play 112 minutes if they've got any sort of weakness we need to be hitting that in the gym to give them the best chance of lasting the whole season yeah um as you said strud's put on Twitter, I think, eight extra games it would equate to. Yeah, mad. So, especially if you add in cup runs, you, you're talking effective 65-70 game season and you're trying to peak, it's a multi-peak sport, you're trying to peak players 70 times. It's just, yeah, it's something we've got to be conscious of and and that's where, again, the micro-dosing comes in and, and making sure we keep on top of everything everything we do. Yeah, I suppose it'd be fascinating, won't it, to see how that may impact style of play going forward, like across the whole season, rotations, we might see more rotations in terms of squads. Um, it'd just be interesting to see how, how coaches and managers actually deal with it, that as a challenge as it goes on as well, won't it? Yeah, and, and I think on, on the back from our side, it, it'd be interesting to see injury incidents, right? Yeah. And whether that goes up, now obviously you can't say um, correlation is causation, but whether there is a, a fact of we did have more injuries, is it because we were doing these extra games? Did all the injuries come at the end of the season? And how do we how do we pick that? Yeah. How do we how do we say that 
look at standing here now, how can we say what will happen come March and April? Um, so we just got to best prepare them as we can for each individual game that's coming up now. And, and hopefully they're ready for that game and they get through scot-free and then move on to the next one. Definitely. Ben, just looking at the time, I don't want to keep you all day. Um, but and I know we've maybe not touched on some stuff that we did say we were going to touch on, but I think this has been really important, a really important time. So I hope people have taken quite a bit from it to get your perspective on how you're approaching it. And uh, I know it's going to be week by week, game by game. But I really appreciate you diving into all that because it wasn't necessarily something we touched on until five minutes before the podcast. Um, but what we'll do is we'll move on to the quick fire questions just to wrap things up. The first of which I always ask, who are some, who've been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, so I think starting off, um, just getting that shoeing in in the FAW, probably Tony Strudwick. Um, again, you always probably best associate that with the person who gave you the first opportunity. Yeah. Um, I think the first opportunity is always the hardest to come by. Um, and again, it's probably something that we'll touch on in a later question of what advice would I give myself. Experience and opportunity is everything. I think I should have taken that earlier. Um, and I'll always say experience can be different between two people. You can have five years experience, but again, if it's all with the same environment, same manager, is that the same as someone who has five years experience under five different managers or even more? Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Dave Dave Caroline said, "Are you gathering experience or experiences?" And I think that yeah. that's basically the same thing, isn't it? And um, the other point on that is that when practitioners are in a point uh, at a point in their career to give that first experience, from what you just said, that highlights the importance of that as well, doesn't it? Because coaches are gonna that's going to be something massively influ influential for that person coming through as well. And it, it's good in a sense of you can mould them and look after them. Yeah. And sometimes you get better experience yourself in explaining and giving rationale to why you're doing things you're doing yeah. rather than just someone coming in and saying, this is what I've done before. Here we go. Easy. And then you just go, yeah, no worries. No one's learning anything. Um, sometimes it's good for your own CPD to give out that experience and say, get challenged. Like, if you're fresh out of uni, I know when I went to Wales, I hit that point at which I went, I know absolutely nothing. But it's it's the point at which you know the most information yeah, and it's the freshest in your mind. I probably couldn't tell you some of the lectures I had on physiology in first year, like, just because my memory's that bad. But getting that experience and that first uh, opportunity yeah it's crucial definitely um what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner two things i think we touched on it in there buy-in and being able to buy buy-in with key stakeholders i think it's understanding i've worked through a range of range of ages and everyone's different it's understanding yeah. what um what each person responds to and then I guess just resilience um, in both having confidence in what you're doing to be the right thing um, and also resilience in 
I sat there for a year and a half applying for jobs and, you know, it, it is tough to get that opportunity. Um, and as soon as you get it, just take it with both hands and throw yourself in at the deep end. Yeah, great advice. You mentioned it before, but if you were sitting down with Ben, just coming fresh out of uni, what would be your top bit of career advice for yourself? I think, again, first thing I'd say is what experience do you have? Yeah. Because I think uni is a great time to do things on the side. Um, you don't have any commitments. You might have, obviously, sports or whatever, but try and get as much experience as you can. Um, and secondly, probably just throw yourself in. Throw yourself in at the deep end. Um, it's okay to make mistakes. Um, I think one of the things I I think when I went into Blackburn more so was I'm learning against people that have had years' experience. So I was almost thinking, am I getting judged? Um Am I going to say the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. And what I'd say is, listen, you're only going to learn by saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing because then you'll know what's right. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, just throw yourself in and don't be scared to make mistakes. Definitely. Great advice. CPD, Ben, what's your approach to that now? Obviously, tackling, it, tackling everything day to day in the season is one yeah. thing, but you as a practitioner, constantly improving, how do you go about it? I think I'm quite privileged in the sense of I'm second in command. Um, so I'm sort of the one that's got the time to be able to go out and take pieces of advice and bring it back. Um, so for me, it's going to get accredited, maybe even doing coaching badges and understanding if, if I'm going to be giving advice to coaches, I need to understand where they're coming from. And the best way to do that, I think, is understanding the game. Um, and then also obviously understanding gym wise, but I think podcasts are a great thing. You know, just stick them in the car, um, on your driving to work, drive home, just constantly keeping on top of things and and don't ever let work get on top of you and always keep your head focused on on what you want to learn. And there's always things you can learn out there. You're never ever a hundred percent. No, and and like you say, this season sums it up, doesn't it? You feel like you might get to grips with how you're going to go about it and then spanners are thrown in the work. So, no, I think it's really important. Ben, there, there probably is going to be people that maybe want a bit of a chat with you after this and maybe ask a few extra questions on things and catch up with you throughout the season. Where would you direct people? Is there anywhere in particular? Probably LinkedIn. I think it's the only place I've probably got a professional profile. You can follow me on Instagram if you want, but it's not... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing to do with sports science. Uh, yeah, so I just showed them to LinkedIn. Um, I'm relatively active on there. I'm one of them that's like creeps in the shadows, doesn't necessarily post, but I'm, I think it's one of the best tools for taking advice and seeing what other people do and just learning from other people and saying, ah, that's good, little nugget. Try it out, see if it works. Yeah, 100%. Man, I really appreciate you coming on. And like I say, I apologise in a way that we didn't cover everything that we originally planned, but I think this will be really beneficial for a lot of people dealing with those same challenges at the moment. So I really appreciate you covering all that. That was great, Ben. Thanks for getting me on. Thanks, mate. We'll catch up soon. Well, do. See you later, man. Thank you for listening to episode 252. I really appreciate all the support. And if you could give it a share on your socials, that would be amazing. Every share helps us. With the, the audience is growing all the time and that is a lot through word of mouth and you spreading the message. I hope this one was very beneficial for a lot of coaches as well. 
the issue around all these added on minutes in games extending the lengths of games is obviously something that's going to have an impact across the season so i think it was great for ben to dive into it i really appreciate him doing it as well because it's obviously very new we're only two or three games into the season and he was open and willing enough to discuss it some of his early thoughts um, on how he's going to tackle it which was brilliant so i hope you took plenty from it some of the takeaways i think that when he talked about the squad size being important I think that's definitely going to come into play across the season. Maybe some of the injuries that will start cropping up from these extra minutes. Tony Strubby did a brilliant breakdown over on, I think he put it on his Twitter, about the impact it's going to be across the season on how many extra games it's going to accumulate to across the whole season. It's, it is going to have a big impact and it's definitely something that needs to be considered for uh, practitioners. But it's also that knock-on effect. It's like we spoke about in the podcast because it works its way down to the academy with maybe under-18s players or under-23 players needing to be available and ready a little bit sooner than what they might have done before because of that rotation that's going to be required across the season as well. Also, from Ben, he mentioned about learning from every experience and every person he comes across. And I think that's a really key piece of information. It's not always going to be perfect. There's not always going to be environments that you really thrive on as a coach and you progress on but there's going to be lessons in there somewhere and taking that approach and and looking at it in that way I think is really important so that was one of the key takeaways for me on this episode but as always I'd love to hear yours we've had a few people sharing theirs recently and posting it on socials with a retweet or whatever that would be amazing the more people that we can hear from the better and it also gives me a little bit of feedback on what people want to hear about in terms of topics on the podcast too just before I wrap up, make sure to stay tuned. If you're not subscribed already, make sure you subscribe because over the next couple of podcasts, we've got some big episodes coming. Some really um, fun episodes actually to record, but some really key topics that we've covered over the next few as well. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen, Spotify, iTunes, or on YouTube. So as soon as we release them, you get access to the, to the episodes. Um, and yeah, thank you again for your support. And I will speak to you again in episode 253.